Well, as we turn to God's word now, I want to welcome two churches that are joining Vintage this morning. We have Vintage Pasadena. It's great to have you guys with us. And also the Vine Church in Fullerton in Orange County. We love you guys and Michael Swanson down there and the whole team. We love you. It's so great to be together. We are looking at the book of Colossians this morning, particularly chapter one, when Paul encourages us all to look at the real Jesus, to see him as he truly is, that your faith, your life and your future all are in tune with your view of Jesus. How you view Jesus determines everything about your life. And he's writing to a church that is struggling with their view of Jesus. They've got some false teachers that have been coming in to dilute and reduce who Jesus is. You may have heard similar things today. Things like Jesus isn't really fully God. He's um, a moral teacher. Jesus is a wise sage or something divine in him, just in the sense that we're all divine. This is the teaching coming into the church. And Paul knows that this teaching will destroy their faith. It will destroy their relationship with God and it will destroy their future with him. The more you see of Jesus, the more your faith comes alive. But the more you reduce Jesus, you reduce your faith and shipwreck it. And so I don't know where you're at this morning, whether you don't have a faith in Jesus and you're wondering who Jesus is or you've been a Christian for a long time. I want us all to take a step back and say, and look at Jesus. Do we see the real Jesus? Or actually, have we allowed our minds and our hearts to reduce him in some way. Because if we reduce him, we will start to look elsewhere. But the more we see of Jesus, the more we see that he is all we need and we turn to him in all things. So let's look at the real Jesus together. Let's look at Colossians chapter one, and we're gonna begin in verse 15. This is a passage which is one of the most famous passages in the Bible. It's a poem that we think Paul wrote, probably the most and the best poem ever written, as we look at the real Jesus together. In verse 15, it says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul invites us all to take a step back and look at the real Jesus. And the first thing he points out is the real Jesus is the divine Jesus. The real Jesus is God incarnate. It's so popular, isn't it, to see Jesus as something other than fully God. Either we reduce him to something purely human, a moral teacher, a moral guide, a great example of love and sacrifice, or we reduce his divinity somehow to like half divinity or semi-divine in a way that maybe he is one essence of the divine like other people are. But Paul nails these two untruths on the head. He says very categorically, he says the son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. 
He is the mirror image of God. He is God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And he confirms this and expresses this even further in verse 19, where he says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That all of the godness is found in Jesus. He's not a piece of the pie. He's not one example. All the fullness of God is found in Jesus. It's a tragedy for me when so many people seem to reduce Jesus to something other than who he really is. There was a survey done recently, probably in the last 15 years or so, of teenage Christians in churches about their view of Jesus. It was one of the most wide-ranging studies ever undertaken. And the view was concerning because I think this learning is not just for teenagers, but for most people, and many people at least, in the Christian church, that they don't see Jesus as the full God who demands our obedience and worship and the one who created all things, but we've reduced Jesus to what this study says and summarizes as a divine butler or cosmic therapist. That Jesus to us is some kind of divine person who helps us or a cosmic therapist, someone who just helps us through the challenges of life. They summarize it this way. People view Jesus as someone who's always on call, takes care of any problems that arise, professionally helps his people to feel better about themselves, and does not become too personally involved in the process. In other words, we don't give Jesus the identity of God, but we reduce him to some divine personal assistant. This isn't the real Jesus. And Paul knows that if we reduce Jesus this way, then our faith will shrivel and die. First of all, Paul wants us to know that in Jesus we find the fullness of God. And that means everything for how we follow him. It means everything for how we worship him. It means everything for how we listen to him and pray to him. When Jesus invites us to follow him, he invites us to follow him as God. And he says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. I've come to heal you. I've come to deliver you into the peace and the rest and the meaning and the purpose that I created you to have. But it begins by you following me as God. Which means that you surrender your life to me. Which means that you live in line with how you are made dependent upon me. Which means that when I say, do this, do that. In other words, when I give commands, they're not suggestions. Not to spoil your fun, but actually to bring you into the joy that you were created for. I find that so often in my life, maybe yours, I feel I miss out on all that Jesus has for me because I'm not following him as a God. I'm inviting him to follow me as a consultant. Jesus, when he gave his great sermon on the mount, at the end, he said, blessed are you who don't just listen to this teaching, but put it into practice, because that's when you'll build your house upon the rock. When you treat me as God, when you trust me as God, that's when the life I have for you will flow into your heart and mind. Well, Gare, hang on a minute. How can we trust anyone with that kind of authority? How can we actually surrender to someone? I got to really trust him. And that's the beauty of the incarnation, isn't it? 
that if we didn't know what God is like, it'd be very hard to trust him. Is he capricious? Is he mean? Does he have our best interests at heart? But the other beauty of knowing that Jesus is God, that God has revealed himself in Jesus. And what we find in Jesus is someone who is utterly trustworthy. In Jesus, we discover that God is about self-sacrificial love for you and for me, about humility, about servanthood, about always seeking the best in others. In fact, in Jesus, we find a God that we would could only wish for, but we find is true, that he dies for you and for me. This is the God we can trust to follow as God. I want to invite you this morning to assess, are you following Jesus as God in your life? And if there are any trust issues there, to go to him and say, Jesus, I'm not sure I trust you, but I want you to help me with my unbelief. Jesus, the real Jesus, is the divine Jesus. The next thing we see is that the real Jesus is the creator Jesus, the one who created all things. In verse 15, it says this, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Paul wants them to know, and I think it's so relevant in our culture in Los Angeles, that Jesus is not part of creation. He is the creator of creation. The divine is not in creation. The divine is in Jesus, who has existed for all eternity. And out of him was birthed creation. You and me in this beautiful world around us. And Paul says this is so important because this means two important truths as we follow him. He says in him, he says in him all things were created. That means there's nothing you face which is beyond the power of Jesus Christ. There's no obstacle, there's no challenge, there's no difficulty that is beyond him because he is above all things. He created all things. And then secondly, he said, in him all things hold together, which means that no matter how messy or broken or difficult or confusing your circumstances are, your life are, your family is, your job is, that actually when you don't think you can hold it all together, that's okay because actually all things hold together in him. He is above all things and all things hold together in him. We had Alpha online this last week, which is going so well. And in our prayer meeting before Alpha, it, with the hosts and the helpers, I had a, a picture from the Holy Spirit of a, a, a lady like slumped over a desk, weeping, saying over and over again, I just can't hold it all together anymore. And just the devastation of realizing she'd been trying to hold it all together, whatever that meant, family or finances or her health or her marriage or her kids or whatever it is, her job, but she was struggling to hold it all together and she couldn't. And I felt at that moment, as I saw that picture, I felt that Jesus was saying, it's okay. And actually, when you finally admit you can't hold it all together, come to me because I am the one who can. And when we invite Jesus into our lives, when we invite Jesus into our circumstances, invite him into our fear, invite him into our finances, our future, our family, whatever it may be, he is the one we find who holds things all together because he is the creator of all things. This week, as you think about the fears you have, the worries you have, the anxieties you have, 
It's an opportunity to turn to the creator of all things, the real Jesus, the one who stands above it all, and say, Jesus, I invite you in as the creator to help and to bring your power to hold this together. He's above all things. Thirdly, we see that Paul wants them to know that the real Jesus is the Redeemer Jesus. The real Jesus is the one who brings healing to the world. He brings healing to all things. In verse 18, Paul wrote, And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul is saying here that we know that the same Jesus who created all things is the same Jesus who is now healing all things. When Jesus created you and me in creation, it was good, it was beautiful, but we know that it's been warped, that death and disease came in. That was not his desire, that was not his intention. But through our rebellion against following God. Death and diseases has come into the world. There's ugliness, there's evil, there's injustice, there are viruses. But Jesus, the real Jesus, doesn't stand back, but enters in to redeem and to heal and to restore his creation. That God loves you and me so much. He loves his creation so much, he will not see it destroyed in destruction, in pain and suffering. But he entered in and went to the cross and on the cross took out the root. Paul says on the cross, he made peace through his blood on the cross, that on the cross, he took the root out of the problem. He said, I'm going to defeat sin. I'm going to defeat Satan. I'm going to defeat death. I'm going to get it all done on the cross so that now the resurrected Jesus can begin healing all creation, healing you and me, reconciling us back into relationship with God. His project of renewal and restoration has begun. And it means whatever you're facing in your life, whatever brokenness you're facing, that we can run to Jesus because he's not only the creator Jesus, he's the great redeemer Jesus. And he has authority now to come into your life and bring his renewal power. We see he does this in two ways. He's, sometimes he comes in, in in an instant and in a miracle and he brings his power of healing and restoration instantaneously. And many of us have experienced that. Many of us experienced his healing power instantaneously or some we've had a stronghold delivered and it's like going from night to day and suddenly we're released and we're free. But sometimes Jesus brings his restoration and healing not in an event but sometimes in a process where we find that he works with us, he journeys with us and slowly untangles us from the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups that maybe we've been carrying for such a long time. See, Jesus won the victory on the cross. He holds all authority to bring us healing and redemption, but he will outwork that in our lives in different ways, sometimes an event and sometimes a process. We see this, don't we, in the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. This interplay of event and process. In an instant, in an event, in an instantaneous event that Lazarus was raised from the dead. But do you remember when he came out of the tomb, Jesus said, now we've got to unravel him of the grave clothes. That there was this resurrection healing but then there was a process to deliver him from all of the grave clothes that, that had represented his old life. 
and in our own lives, there'll be those moments where Jesus brings us to life and there'll be breakthroughs. But sometimes there'll also be a process of the Holy Spirit working through the church, working through counseling, working through prayer to unravel us from some of the strongholds that we faced. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think, oh, I wish it wasn't processed. I wish it was all just like that. But in his sovereignty, Jesus knows that in his love for us, sometimes it will be event and sometimes he works powerfully through a process. And I want to encourage you to allow God to be sovereign, Jesus to be sovereign in your life, to be the real Jesus, to be the sovereign redeemer and to come to him and say, Jesus, heal me, restore me, deliver me from these hurts and habits and hang ups that I have. But I trust you that sometimes if it's going to be an instant, great, but if it's going to be a marathon, that's fine. I know that ultimately, either way, you're delivering me and healing me. I look back in my life and some things I thought, my gosh, Lord, I'm still struggling with that. Jesus, you promised that you'd heal me. But actually, I turn around sometimes and think, actually, though I'm not fully healed, I've come a long way. And I want to encourage those of us this morning who feel, man, I'm still carrying this. I'm still struggling with this. To actually trust Jesus, that he knows what he's doing in the process. And turn around and realize how far he's brought you. And give you hope to how far he's going to take you. And then finally, we see that Paul encourages them to see the real Jesus as the sovereign, supreme Jesus. The sovereign, supreme Jesus. He says in verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. In everything he might have the supremacy. Paul wants them to know that Jesus is fully supreme. He is fully in charge. He is sovereign over the church, no matter what the church is going through. He's sovereign over creation, no matter what creation is going through. He's sovereign over the visible world, the invisible world, over life, over death. He's sovereign over your life in the past, the present and the future. Jesus Christ is sovereign. He is in charge. His sovereignty doesn't mean he brings sickness, he brings trouble, he brings viruses, but it means that no matter what we face, He is completely sovereign, that he is sovereign in intervening to bring his kingdom even into the darkest of scenarios, that we need not worry that things are out of control, but he is utterly sovereign. He is utterly in charge. I have struggled in my life. I don't know if you have, but I've struggled with worry and a sense of having to control my circumstances in order to control my worry. I worry about what's going to happen. I've worried about things in the past so much that I haven't been able to sleep. I've, I remember when I was at college, I, I just couldn't sleep. I was thinking, what's going on? But I was so worried about my future that I couldn't sleep. I got sick. I got eczema and all this kind of stuff. And it was really anxiety and worry. And the way to solve that was for me to take control and to manipulate and really hyper control my circumstances, which made things even worse. And when you can't control your circumstances, like now, we can't control viral pandemics. We can't control the economy. Our anxiety grows even more. And Paul encourages this church, he encourages me, encourages you by saying in these circumstances, do you see the real Jesus, that the real Jesus is the supreme Jesus? 
that he is in control, he is in charge of all circumstances. You need, you don't need to control everything because he is in control. Yes, we work hard, we plan, we're wise under his guidance and teaching. But at the end of the day, when we go to sleep, we can rest, as Alistair Begg says, we can rest on the soft pillow of Christ's sovereignty. That I know my God is with me. I know my God loves me. I know that there's nothing greater than him. I know he is in control. And so I don't know the outcome, but he does. I don't know what's going to happen, but he does. And he promises to take care of me. He promises to be with me. He promises to work all things for the good for those who love and are called according to his purpose. I love when Alistair Begg said this. He said, all of the ebb and flow of history is to be viewed in the light of the fact that there is a throne in heaven and that throne is not empty. It is occupied by Jesus and Jesus is in control. He's in control of this circumstance. He's in control of your life. He's in control of our future. We can rest our head on the soft pillow of Christ's sovereignty. Do you see the real Jesus? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your greatness, for your majesty, for your supremacy, for your power. We thank you that you are bigger than we could ever have imagined, that you are fully God. And yet you have invited us into your family. You've invited us to be with you forever. And in fact, you say that you will dwell with us. And so right now we pray that you would enlarge our view of you. That you become the dominant, the dominant worldview that we have. That you hold the world in your hands. You are on the throne and you're in control. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to worship now. And... I'd invite you to worship him, to invite him to touch you in a special way, to speak to you, to minister to you. And at the end of our service, we're going to have our prayer team stay afterwards for those who are like prayer ministry. So after the end of the service, our prayer ministry team will be around. Just click live prayer and we'd love to pray with you. But let's worship now together.